The following message was recorded during the Friends of Israel 2011 National Prophecy Conference season. These meetings were held in Winona Lake, Indiana and Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For more audio resources from the Friends of Israel, visit us at foi.org. We want to look at this subject in my two sessions with you today and then on Wednesday morning on what the Bible says about the future of the nation of Israel. And uh, we have to do this in survey fashion, so just hold on. But we're going to start here with the, the first significant thing is recorded for us in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, where the Antichrist, who by that time will become the, the leader, the head man of a future revived Roman Empire, at the very beginning of a seven-year period of time that we call the tribulation period, the Antichrist, as this powerful world leader, will establish a seven-year covenant with the nation of Israel in the Middle East. And Hebrew scholars point out that the language of Daniel 9.27 is very strong. It implies this will be a strong, binding seven-year covenant between Antichrist, the ruler of the revived Roman Empire, on the one hand, and the nation of Israel in the Middle East, on the other hand. And uh, the, the whole implication is with that strong language that through that covenant, Antichrist will so strongly bind the nation of Israel to himself and his revived Roman Empire that he will actually regard Israel as an extension of himself and his empire in the Middle East. And therefore, he will guarantee Israel's national security for at least a seven-year period initially. And that if Israel is ever attacked by another power, that he will come to Israel's rescue and deal with those attacking powers. In light of that, when you come to Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 11, we find out some significant things. First of all, in verses 36 to 39 of Daniel chapter 11, the Antichrist is described. And he's a strong-willed individual who insists that his will be put into effect. And no one else has authority to tell him what he may do, what he may not do. We're also told that he will speak monstrous things against the true and the living God. And he will have no respect for any god or goddesses that either his ancestors or other people have ever worshipped. And we're told the reason he will do that is because he wants to be exalted above all the other gods and goddesses and eventually be worshipped as God himself. And so he's described there in Daniel 11, verses 36 to 39. But then when you come to verse 40 of Daniel chapter 11, we, we have this statement, Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40. We are told that at the time of the end, now what is meant by the time of the end? The Bible divides all of history into two divisions. The first division is the time before Messiah is actually here administering God's rule over the world before the last millennium of our present world's history. We could call that the pre-Messianic age. The Bible calls it the present age, this present age. That's the age we're dealing, we're living in right now. And then the second age, according to the Bible, that the Bible calls the age to come, in other words, the age to come after the present pre-Messianic age. And it means by that, that's the age when Messiah will actually be here for a thousand years administering God's rule upon planet Earth. So we would call that the Messianic age. 
But here it says, verse 40, at the time of the end. Well, the end of what? It would be the end, the end period of our present pre-Messianic age, before Messiah is here. I take it that's a reference to the last seven years of our present age in which we're living before Messiah ends that age at his second coming to planet Earth. In other words, it's talking about things that will take place during the seven-year tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period. And what we're told there in verse 40 is, at the time of the end, shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, with horsemen, with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries, shall overflow and pass over. Who is the him here in verse 40? Well, in light of the fact the person has just been described before verse 40 is the Antichrist, the him must be a reference to the Antichrist. And what we're being told here that uh, sometime during the, the future tribulation period, that the king of the north and the king of the south are going to come militarily against the Antichrist. Well, then, who are the king of the north and the king of the south? And thankfully, verses 1 through 35 of Daniel chapter 11 have already been fulfilled historically. In in fact, verses 1 through 35 of Daniel 11 were fulfilled even before the first coming of Jesus Christ to planet Earth. And so in light of that, in verses 1 through 35, the king of the north was always the nation of Syria, directly north of Israel. And the king of the south, in verses 1 through 35, was always the nation of Egypt, directly south of Israel. Now that's past history. Verse 40 has not yet taken place, but here we have the king of the north and the king of the south referred to again in Daniel 11. And since Daniel's not told they're different from the king of the south and the king of the north in verses 1 through 35, we can conclude that the king of the north here for the future tribulation period is the nation of Syria, same nation of Syria directly north of Israel today, and the nation of Egypt south of Israel today. Now, you know what's been going on in Egypt and Syria just within the the last couple of months. Revolt against the rulers, and they've overthrown the ruler of Egypt. Now they're trying to overthrow the ruler of Syria right now. And the question is, who's going to take control of those nations when they kick out the ones who have been present rulers up to this point in time? Well. Right now, in Egypt, the latest news coming out is that those who are going to set up the new government and and the majority of the people of Egypt are saying, let's break our agreement with Israel, that we will no longer honor Israel existing here in the Middle East, and let's turn against the nation of Israel. Now, what's going to happen if the present ruler of Syria gets overthrown? And who's going to take control of Syria? And are they going to take the same attitude as well? Let's overthrow the nation of Israel, get rid of Israel from the Middle East. The question is, how will Egypt and Syria attack the Antichrist? He's not in the Middle East at this time, as we will see at the end of verse 40. It seems to me that his covenant that he made with Israel where he binds Israel so tightly to him and his revived Roman Empire, he will regard any attack against Israel as an attack against him, 
it seems to me what Daniel's being told here that sometime during the future tribulation period, Egypt and Syria are going to come against the nation of Israel. And to do that, to actually attack the Antichrist uh, through that particular means. How will he react? Well, we're told at the end of verse 40, he shall overflow and pass over, which tells us that until that attack takes place against Israel, Antichrist is not in the Middle East. He must be dwelling some other place upon planet Earth, wherever the headquarters of this future revived Roman Empire will be. But keeping his covenant commitment to Israel, when he gets the news that his ally Israel has been jointly attacked by Syria and Egypt at the same time in a pincher-type movement against the nation of Israel, that's going to pull him into the Middle East. He's going to enter into the Middle East. And when you uh, read the following verses, it's pretty obvious he invades north of Israel first to take care of Syria. Maybe even will conquer Lebanon, north of Israel today as well, but at least Syria. But then when he's done with Syria, uh, we are told then in verse 41, he shall enter also into the glorious land. What would be the glorious land in, in the Bible? The land of Israel. Once he's done with Syria, north of Israel, he starts marching his revived Roman army south through the land of Israel. And we're told that as he's moving down through the land of Israel, he won't take the time to cross over the Jordan River to the, to the uh, east of, of Israel, where the nation of Jordan would be today. And the reason he won't take the time to do that is because he wants to get down and deal with the other na- nation that attacked Israel, Egypt. So when he marches his army south through the land of Israel, he goes straight down to Egypt and we're told that he's able to conquer the whole land of Egypt uh, with its western border with Libya and its southern border with what in Daniel's day was Ethiopia, but uh, that's not modern-day Ethiopia. What is the counterpart of ancient Ethiopia is Sudan, which is the southern neighbor there of Egypt. And so we're being told that Antichrist will be able to conquer the whole land of Egypt, and once he does that, He begins robbing Egypt of its wealth and its resources. And it will look as if that particular part of the Middle East is going to come under the Antichrist rule and control. But, note if you would please the contrast word in uh, verse 44, but tidings of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Well, Antichrist is down in Egypt plundering the wealth and resources of that nation, he will receive very disturbing news from the east and from the north. Now, obviously, the question is, what will be the content of that disturbing news? I would suggest to you that uh, that disturbing news is what is recorded for us in the prophet Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39. Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 where the prophet Ezekiel, who, by the way, was a contemporary of Daniel. They were both prophets of God at the same time. They were both uh, over in Babylon as a result of Babylonian captivity of Israel, and uh, they knew each other. But God, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, revealed to Ezekiel that sometime in the future, there'd be several nations that are going to band together their armed forces to attack the nation of Israel and try to eliminate it from that part of the world. 
And we have uh, the different nations named there in Ezekiel. And uh, one of those, well, let me give you the, the modern day counterpart names for them. One is the nation of Iran, the nation of Iran. And you know what's going on in Iran today with Ahmadinejad, and they're desperately trying to develop nuclear weapons that they say that their main goal is to nuke Israel off the face of the map at everything once they get hold of those nuclear weapons. So you have, you have uh, Iran, you have Sudan. Sudan, which again is the southern neighbor of Egypt today, uh, is ruled over by an Islamic government. But as you know, as of July the 9th, they were able to divide that country with the northern Sudan remains under control of the, the Muslim government and the southern Sudan has more Christian people there as well. But Sudan wants Israel eliminated. The, uh, that Islamic government, they hate Israel with a passion, want Israel eliminated from, uh, from that part of the world. Then you have Libya. And you know what's going on in Libya right now, where Muammar Gaddafi, rebels are trying to overthrow him. Whether they'll succeed or not remains to be seen, but either way, Gaddafi, of course, in many of their pan-Arab conferences spoke out and said, we must deal with Israel. We must get rid of Israel in this part of the world. And even if he's overthrown, we don't know what position the rebels would take if they gain control of that and their relationship with Israel. But God was revealing here that uh, Libya is going to come with other military forces against Israel in the future. And then we have uh, uh, Gog and Magog referred to, uh, and, and some of the other uh, different tribal groups of people and everything there. And the ones that are named for us in Ezekiel 38, after Iran, Sudan, and Libya are, are referred to, they were two tribal groups of people, Gomer and Togarma, Gomer and Togarma. The best scholarship available today indicates those were two tribal groups of people who in Ezekiel's day lived in different parts of what today is the nation of Turkey, the nation of Turkey. And so the implication is that Turkey is going to join in uh, with these other nations to come against Israel militarily in the future. Now, the Muslims conquered what today is Turkey back in 1453, 1453. And uh, since that time, Islam has been the major religion of Turkey. But in, in uh, 1923, Turkey adopted a totally secular government, wouldn't allow Islamic religion to determine the decisions of that nation. And up until about the last one and a half to two years, as a result of that secular government of Turkey, it has carried on friendly relationships with the nation of Israel in the Middle East. However, in about two or three years ago, an Islamic political party won elections, which has now put them in control of the government of Turkey. And that Islamic political party has done away with the secular government of Turkey. And I don't know if you heard or read in the news, uh, about a month or two ago, Turkey and Iran signed a peace treaty with each other. And they've taken down the barriers in the, the line that divided them as two different nations. And they made it very clear, the Muslim government of Turkey and the Muslim government of Iran, 
this friendly relationship between Turkey and Iran is forever throughout eternity. They use, they use that language. And up to that point, uh, the secular government of Turkey had scheduled joint military maneuvers with the uh, armed forces of Israel. But now that this Islamic uh, uh, government and everything has come in control of Turkey, they cancel those joint maneuvers with Israel and they realigned it with Syria. Joint military maneuvers between Syria and Turkey. Again, wanting to get rid of Israel there in the Middle East. Then we have another nation named here, Gog of the land of Magog. And uh, when you go like over to verse 14 of Ezekiel 38, we're told that Gog is gonna come, and the Hebrew says, from the remotest parts of the north, remotest parts of the north, gonna come down against Israel with a great military force and allied with these other nations that were referred to here in Ezekiel 38. And if you were to put your finger on a world atlas or the state of Israel and move it straight north and go as far north as you can and be in landmass, you'd end up in the heartland of the Soviet Union or Russia. And it says that Gog of Magog is gonna come from the remotest, the farthest parts of the north, down against the land of Israel. And we're told here in these verses like 13 and following, this is gonna be in the latter days, in the latter days. Well, the latter days of what? The latter days of this present pre-Messianic age in which we're now living. I take it again during the future tribulation period. In fact, if you go to verse eight of Ezekiel 38, after many days you shall be visited, in the latter years you shall come into the land that is brought back from the sword, is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. You shall ascend and come like a storm. You shall be like a cloud to cover the land, you and all your bands and many people with you. Thus says the Lord God, it shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into your mind, referring here to the ruler of Gog of Magog, things will come into your mind. You shall think an evil thought. You shall say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil, to take a prey, to turn your hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Notice it's saying this invasion against Israel will take place in the latter years, the latter days, again, of our present pre-Messianic age, which says to me this is going to take place sometime during the future seven-year tribulation period. And it talks about it'll be after Jews have come back, been restored to their homeland. And of course, that began on a major scale in 1948, after the UN had mandated land given to the Jewish people to reinstitute a new state of Israel. And, but it also says, it's gonna be at a time though, when Israel feels so safe and so secure, it doesn't have walls around its villages, which says it's gonna be a time when Israel feels so safe and so secure, it doesn't feel threatened, and it's let down its own defense, its own defense to defend itself. Is there any time, now, let me ask you this, is that the attitude of Israel right now? No way. 
Israel right now is, has some of the most uh, phenomenal weaponry ever devised by mankind. They've even taken some of our best weapons and made them even more effective. They have to be because of all the threats coming against them. Is there any period of time between now and the second coming of Jesus Christ back to planet Earth when Israel will feel so safe and so secure it let down its own guard militarily? Yes, during the first half of the seven-year tribulation period. As a result of a powerful world ruler, Antichrist, the head of the revived Roman Empire, guaranteeing Israel's national security. Israel's national security. Now, we're going to see later on, that's only during the first half that Israel's going to feel that way, and we'll see why, because Antichrist eventually is going to change his attitude toward Israel, and then he's going to start desolating it. So I propose to you this invasion, multinational invasion of these nations against Israel will take place during the first half of the seven-year tribulation period when Israel feels so safe and so secure because of that strong covenant that Antichrist has established with it to protect it against all enemies. Now, I surmise this will be right before the middle of the seven-year tribulation period. Seven-year tribulation period. Now, keep in mind again, the reason we came here was because, according to Daniel 11, when Antichrist is down in Egypt, plundering of its resources and wealth, he gets disturbing news from the east and from the north. Where is Iran located geographically with regard to the nation of Israel? Due east. Where is Russia in relationship to Israel? North. Where is Turkey in relationship to Israel? North as well. But what about Libya and Sudan? Libya isn't north or east of Israel. Sudan is not north or east of Israel. Libya and Sudan are southwest of Israel. What about this? They're going to be joining in this. In order for them to come by land up against Israel, when Iran comes in from the east, Russia and Turkey come down from the north, they would have to go through the nation of Egypt to get to Israel. Because Sudan's south of Egypt and Libya is west of Egypt. In order for them to come up against Israel in this joint attack, they'd have to come through Egypt. But who's in Egypt at that time? Antichrist with his revived Roman armies. And there's no way those two nations would dare to take him on and his revived Roman armies. And so it seems to me that will force Sudan and Libya to put their troops in boats and go north up through the Mediterranean Sea and join in with Turkey and Russia and now with them come down from the north against the nation of Israel. I would propose to you this is the essence of the disturbing news that Antichrist will hear while he's down in Egypt, disturbing news from the north and from the east. In light of that, when you go back to the book of Daniel again in chapter 11, this is what we're told, verse 44 of Daniel 11. But tidings of the east and of the north shall trouble him, shall trouble him, and he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. I take it that while he's down in Egypt, robbing that nation of its resources and wealth, he gets this disturbing news from the north and the east 
of this massive military force coming against his ally Israel. And so again, keeping his covenant commitment to Israel, he begins rushing north from Egypt back up to Israel with the, view, with the goal of trying to wipe out and destroy these massive military forces that come against his ally uh, Israel. But if you know Ezekiel 38 and 39, it's not the Antichrist that destroys these military forces. If you were to go Ezekiel 38, God says, when these nations come against my nation of Israel, my fury is going to come up in my face, and God's going to intervene directly and supernaturally into world events. He's going to cause tremendous earthquakes as these forces are coming against Israel. It's going to cause tremendous landslides coming down upon these military forces. He's going to bombard them with torrential rains, great hailstones coming down upon them, and all the rest. And the Ezekiel 38, God reveals that as a result, these invading soldiers, in their panic to try to get away from all these devastating things that God is unleashing upon them, they will use their weapons upon one another and start killing each other. And God will wipe out these massive military forces of Russia and Turkey and these other nations there in the mountains of Israel and thereby uh, preserve the nation of Israel there in its homeland at that particular time. So the end result is that by the time Antichrist gets up there with the goal of trying to eliminate these forces, God's already eliminated them. And all these dead soldiers are laying around there. That now gives Antichrist a totally free hand to do what he wants in that part of the world. Because all these great military forces have been wiped out supernaturally without his firing one man-made weapon. And I wouldn't be surprised that he may try to claim that he's the one who wiped out those forces without one man-made weapon. In other words, he's going to try to say, look at what I was able to do without using conventional warfare to wipe out these forces. This is obviously supernatural work. I'm the one that has perpetrated that. And so we're told then, in verse 45, he shall, he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. What he's going to do, once these forces have been wiped out, he's going to come down to the city of Jerusalem, which is on the holy mountain, Mount Zion, and where the temple mount is. And it's between two seas, the Dead Sea on the, on the uh, east and the Mediterranean Sea on the west. He's going to take control of the city of Jerusalem. And I take it this is when the tribulation period comes to the exact middle of the tribulation period, of the tribulation period. And uh, so the next thing we have to see about the future here going on we are told in Daniel 9, verse 27, that in the middle of the seven-year tribulation period, Antichrist is going to take complete control uh, of the temple. The Jews will have built a new temple there during the period of peace they had, and they will have reinstituted their Old Testament sacrificial system and priesthood, and Antichrist is going to take control of that temple. And then... There are implications in Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13. That's when Satan takes possession 
of this powerful human ruler when he's there in Jerusalem. And uh, we're told that in Daniel 9.27 that in the middle of that seven-year period, Antichrist is going to commit an abomination of desolation. And the abomination is, he's going to, and Paul sheds light on this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Antichrist is going to take his seat in that new temple that the Jews have put there, and he's going to set himself up as God. He's going to make the blasphemous claim that he's God and require all of his subjects to worship him as God, and those who refuse to do so, he will eliminate from planet Earth altogether. And we're told that in Daniel 9.27, from the middle of the tribulation period until the end of the tribulation period when Christ comes out of heaven, the second coming, he will turn against the nation of Israel and he will desolate the people of Israel in their homeland. And we're told in, in uh, Revelation chapter 13, once he comes to that middle point and Satan takes possession of him, he will be given 42 months to continue his evil work on behalf of Satan here in the world. 42 months, that's three and a half years. That's the second half of the tribulation period here upon planet Earth, where he will desolate, go after the nation of Israel as Satan's tool now. Complete about face from being Israel's protector to now being Israel's ultimate enemy, human enemy upon planet Earth and doing Satan's work of trying to eliminate the people of Israel from the face of the Earth before they can repent of their rebellion against God and accept their Messiah, their true Messiah, as their Messiah and Savior. And that's the way it's going to continue. You know, Jesus, in Matthew 24, verse 15, uh, he says, he's speaking to Jews who will be living in their homeland at that time. When you see the abomination of desolation, this abominable thing, a man, going into a temple of God and proclaiming his deity, when you see that taking place, that's going to desolate you people in the land of Israel. For those who are living at that time, flee as fast as you can to a mountain wilderness area because then will be such great tribulation such as never been in all of past history or ever will be again. That's the second half of the tribulation period. It's the, the final tribulation the Great Tribulation. You know, Jesus in Matthew 24 divides that seven-year period into two groups. The first three and a half years are the beginning of birth pangs. But the second three and a half years are the hard labor birth pangs. Unparalleled time of trouble for Israel and even for the world. Great Tribulation such as never been in all of past history up to that particular time. And... Uh, we're going to uh, see then when we pick up on Wednesday morning and everything that what's going to happen after that, right after that, at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, uh, you're going to come up to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. But before that, all nations now, by the end of the tribulation period, all nations are going to bring their combined military forces against the nation of Israel in the Middle East. If you were to go to Revelation 16, verses 12 through 15, John has revealed to him when the next to the last judgment of the seven-year tribulation period is unleashed, Satan, his Antichrist, 
his false prophet, are going to send demons, evil angels throughout the world to persuade the rulers of all the nations of the world to bring their combined military might to one location upon planet Earth. And that's against the nation of Israel upon planet Earth. Why does Satan want to eliminate the people of Israel from the earth? There's a reason. We're going to see, Lord willing, on Wednesday morning, God has revealed prophetically he will not crush Satan and get rid of Satan and his rule from the world system until the nation of Israel repents of its rebellion against God and gladly accepts its true Messiah as their Messiah and Savior. Why does Satan want to eliminate the people of Israel? Because he sees that God will not crush him and get rid of him and his rule from planet Earth until the nation of Israel repents of its rebellion against God and cries out for Jesus, their Messiah. And so the Satan's way of thinking, if Israel has to repent and do that before God will crush me, if I can totally eliminate Israel from the face of the earth before it repents and cries out for its true Messiah, then God will never crush me, and I'll be allowed to continue dominating the world system throughout all the rest of world history. He must destroy them in his war against God that's been going on ever since the fall of man here in world history. He must go after them. And this is why the people of Israel historically, ultimately, have had more attempts at genocide brought against them than any other ethnic group in all of world history. And what we're seeing here, Israel's worst days are still ahead. And when we see what's going on now in the world, right now, and more and more nations, and right now the leadership of our own nation isn't too favorable toward Israel, you cannot help but wonder, is the stage being set right now for some of these things that God foretells is going to take place in the future with regard to the nation of Israel. But we're going to see, Lord willing, on Wednesday morning when we pick up this point, Satan is never going to be able to totally eliminate them. Many of them will perish. Many of them will perish. Uh, Zechariah 12 through 14 describes this as well. And it says, when, when all the nations of the world uh, bother themselves with what's to be done with Jerusalem, well, you know right now, the UN is going to say, when we set up, forget Israel and this, the world's going to set up a Palestinian state, and we're going, to, we're, going to be, we're going to force Israel to give up at least half of the city of Jerusalem. And the world says, we've got to do this in order to have lasting peace. God says in Zechariah 12, when the whole world bothers themselves what's to be done with Jerusalem, even if all the nations come, that's exactly what's going to happen. And all the nations of the world are going to send their armed forces there in the land of Israel. And as they sweep across the countryside, the last two verses of Zechariah 13 indicate two-thirds of the Jews living in the land at that time will perish very quickly. And the one-third remnant left get bottled up in the city of Jerusalem. Then all the armies of the nations come and surround that city. And they're in the process of attacking that city to try to eliminate the one-third remnant of Jews that are left in that particular city. God will not allow his people of Israel to be totally eliminated. 
from this earth. And we'll see why. Because he has a purpose for them during the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ here upon planet earth. And so he's not going to allow that to take place in spite of the forces of Satan and the Antichrist and others that come against his people of Israel. God our Father, we worship you because you're the sovereign God of this universe. And we thank you that you have a plan and purpose for the people of Israel. You've chosen them to be your special people, not because they were better than anybody else, but because you intend them to play an incredible key role in the accomplishment of your plan and purpose for world history. We pray that you'll take these things, some of which are very solemn for us in light of trends that we see going on in the world today, but use them to confirm to us all the more the accuracy of the Word of God. These things are now happening are no accident. And you know from the beginning what's going to take place. And that's why in your sovereign rule you could foretell centuries ahead of time, millennia ahead of time, these dramatic things that would take place at the end times and how you're going to focus again your attention upon the people of Israel and the key role that you plan them to carry out in accomplishing your plan and purpose for your honor and your glory in the course of world history. For all of this, we worship you and we thank you in the name of your beloved Son and our Savior, your Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen.